Good morning, family. We're going to be doing a lot of reading. Is that okay? Uh, if we're going to learn how to study, I, I don't assume that I have the intellect to be able to teach you how to study the Bible. Uh, I subject my intellect and my wisdom and my experience to inspiration. Is that all right? So as we begin to study, I'm going to ask you to pray with me uh, and ask God to be with us. Even in this simple, you know, sometimes the simple things can be distorted. So I'm going to ask God to help us in these simple points to have a right mind and clear thoughts and feelings that heaven can communicate with us in these final hours of earth's history. Let's pray together. Dear Father in heaven, again, we are just grateful for the privilege of being here with you, learning how to understand the word of God. I ask, Father, that you enlighten our thoughts and feelings, that they reflect your own. Your word says, when two or three are gathered, that you would be in the midst of us. And we are here gathered in your name, Father. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus and claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. All right, normally the way I do this is I don't like to talk the whole time. So you're going to read, we're going to go back and forth, we're going to discuss what we're reading and what we're understanding. And as we discuss with each other, God is going to help us understand more clearly how to apply these principles of Bible study. The first page there, and I want you just to kind of grasp this, I'm going to have someone read for me. I'm going to stand near you so the microphone can pick you up. All right, so my brother, if you can start reading for us, we're reading from education, Education is going to give us some principles in regards to the study of the scriptures. And I want us to read that first paragraph there where it says the creative energies. Go ahead and read that. The creative energy that called the world into existence is in the word of God. This word imparts power. It begets life. Every command is a promise mm -hmm. accepted by the will received into the soul, it brings with it the life of the infinite one. It transforms the nature and recreates the soul in the image of God. All right, so that, to me, that is a mind-blowing paragraph. The Bible, or the Spirit of Prophecy, brings out the creative energy. Think about that. Psalms 33 and verse 6. Someone open your Bible. Go to Psalms 33 and verse 6 and verse 9. Psalms 33, verse 6 and 9. Think about that. The creative energy that called the worlds into existence is in the word of God. Think about that. Someone has it? Go ahead and read it for me, brother. 33, verse 6 and 9. 33, verse 6 and 9. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the bread of his mouth. For he spake, and he was done. He commanded... Now think about that. If God spoke, he said, let there be light. And there's power in that word that light just comes. That same principle we're reading here is simply in this book. Energy, power is in the word of God. 
Now, it tells us something, the principle of how we approach it. It says the word, this word empowers power. It begets life. Every command is a what? Isn't that interesting? Every command? Yes, every command. So we read the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false. All these things that God tells you not to do, he's really saying, I'm going to do for you. Everything that he's saying, every instruction that he's giving, he's not just giving it to you for information. I want you to lock that in. God's not giving us information in this book just for head knowledge. It is power. It is there to change us from being what we are to being something completely different. Let's go a little closer. Let's read the next paragraph. Um, your, dear bri- your dear bride there, should you read it for us? Thus life, oh, sorry. The life thus imparted is the life manner sustained. Okay, so the life thus imparted. In other words, the energy that comes with the reading and the creation of life, that same life is sustained by that same word. Okay, go ahead. All right. How many words? Every word. Is there any insignificant word in Scripture? According to what we've read here, and I believe what I read here, that there is no insignificant word in Scripture. Not one. The, 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 it, the, and, whatever the word is, there is, it is no insignificance in those words. Every word has its weight. Every word has its bearing. And when we approach scripture, we must approach it in that mindset that this is energy, this is life, this is power. And every word is necessary for me to live. Every word. Well, let's go a little further. Uh, My brother, read the next paragraph there. Okay, let me ask the question. My sister, what is your name? Christy. 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 Let me ask you a question, Christy. If you eat mango, what happens? Do you know what a mango is? Oh, mango, yeah. Did I say it weird? Okay, sorry. (laughs) If you eat mangoes, what happens to mangoes when you eat it? What what happens to it? It's gone. It's gone. You chew it, and it digests, right? It tastes wonderful. It tastes good in the mouth, and it goes into the system. It goes through the, the digested, the, the vitamins and all those things. It goes into the blood. Now, if you eat a lot of mangoes, your skin is going to turn a little orange. Eat a lot of carrots. You ever drink a lot of carrot juice? You ever, I, I drink a lot of carrot juice one time, and my skin started changing a different color. Your mind changes based upon what it feeds. What you chew on, what you think about, what you meditate on, you actually become what you think about. If you think about money, I remember, I, you know, I'm a call porter too. Where's the pastor? I'm a call porter. Knocked on doors, met many people. If you go to doors and you have money in your eyes, you know, the people can see those dollar bills in your eyeballs. They can see that. They can see that you're consumed with this thought of making money versus loving them. They can see it. People can see the reality of what you think about, what you behold. 
I just asked you a question, and again, I'm challenging you. We're talking about Bible study. You may not think I'm talking about Bible study, but we're talking about Bible study. What you think about, what you're beholding, that's what you become. I'll ask you another question. Let's say you had two dogs in the room. One dog on this side is a black dog, and this dog on this side is a brown dog. The black dog you feed every day with nice, hefty ribs, good meat. This dog over here, you don't feed it at all. Which dog you think is stronger? The one you feed. Very simple, very basic idea. If you want to be spiritual, you need to feed your spirituality. Is that right? You need to feed it with that which is good because you can't be a Christian by feeding upon television. Is that right? You can't be a Christian. Listen, if your diet consists of even Christian television only, you have a problem. Because the creative energy that calls the worlds into existence is in where? In the word of God. It's not simply based on what they're saying on television. You must chew your... And this is another thought. I love preachers. I love good preaching when I hear good preaching. I love it. But you know that's regurgitated food. Did you hear me? I've, I've chewed my food, I've digested my food, and I'm giving back to you what I have for myself, but that's not good enough for you. Amen. You must chew your own food. If you're going to receive life from now, of course, if you ate my food, I might give you a little bit of sustenance for a time. But I tell you what, it don't taste as good. You must learn to chew your own food. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to chew our own food. Keep reading for us, my brother. Mm. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Amen. He says, call on me, I will show you. I will talk to you personally in regards to the wonderful things that are found in his word. Next paragraph, my sister. My sister, you read for us. Next paragraph. With the word of God in his hand, every human being, whatever his lot is, life may be cast, may have been such companionship as he shall choose. All right, so no matter what his lot is, you can have whatever companionship you can choose. Now watch what the companionship consists of in these next few sentences. Go ahead. It is this page he may hold, converse with the noble and the best of the human race, and may listen to the voice of the eternal as he speaks with men, mm. as he study and meditate upon the things into which the angels desire to look. He may have their companionship. Whose companionship? The companionship of what? Of angels. You and I have the... I remember being in Africa. I was over there, and I went over there with a mission trip to preach. And jet lag, I was completely busted. And I, woke, I didn't know if I could wake up. And I remember laying in my bed, and a voice speaking to me. You know how you hear a voice outside of yourself? And it said, wake up. I jumped up. I was like, somebody in this room? Nope, nobody's in here. I got up, I started studying, God started giving me new information. Next night, now I had prepared all my sermons before I went. I even had diagrams, I had charts ready to roll. Next morning, same voice, same instruction. Wake up. Woke up. Went there, started studying. Angels began to instruct me. Got new information. 
angels will instruct you personally. That's what it says. And I'm going to show you from the Bible. I'm just we're reading it right now because I want you to understand the weight of what we're about to study. This is not a intellectual exercise. This is not I'm going to give you some tools so you get a, a secret to get. No, this is a relationship. All right. This is something personal. All right. Let's let's go. Let's go a little further. Next one. Keep reading, my sister. Wait. Wait, did you hear what that just said? When you open the Bible, when you begin to study, you can actually be in the atmosphere of heaven? You mean you can have heaven here on earth? That's the privilege now we have when we are opening the word. You see, understand, when you open, it's like, you know, in the cartoons, you know, they open a book and the light comes out. <laughs> That's what's happening. You're opening that book and it's sacred. Angels are about to come and minister to you. They're about to hear the words of the master. The creative energy that called the worlds into existence is in this book. This is how we approach the word of God. That's how we approach it. Let's keep reading. There's more. Did you hear that? So as you're studying the word of God, as you're coming closer and closer in your relationship with God, when you get to heaven, it's not, you know, when I came to California, you know, I was born in Riverside, California. You know, I've been here, in the, you know, Disneyland. I went to Disneyland when I was in eighth grade. You know, I, I'm familiar with California. It's not a strange place. There's a familiarity there. But do you understand what that just said? It says that as you're studying the word of God, it will lead you closer to the gates of heaven until actually when you get there, you'll be like, this is not a strange place. Amen. I've been here before. There's something familiar. Well, how? Because there's something in the study of scripture that allows you to have this experience. I hope you're understanding what we're saying here. All right, let's keep going. My sister, go ahead. All right. Did you hear that? So now I hear the voice of an angel. You know, you're used to hearing your voice. I mean, you should learn to hear the voice of your angel. Uh, that's why I enjoy canvassing. Canvassing is such an intense experience where you have to know God's leading and talking to you. But my angel, I'm familiar with him. Now, he may actually be in this room. I don't know. He'll be sitting in human form. I don't know who it is. But I'm used to hearing the voice. I'm used to hearing instruction. I'm used to opening the word of God and finding points here and there. When I get to heaven, I can't wait to see them. We have the privilege, as we're studying today, for angels to be our companions. Now we're going to begin the principles. You can turn to the next page. Let's just say systematic study. 
I have to make a correction on this side, but you see there in systematic study, I looked up the words that were synonyms to that word, systematic and study. And I put study there two times, which I shouldn't have done, but nonetheless. You see there, systematic, methodical, orderly, regular, organized, efficient. That's, those are synonyms of the word systematic. You see the word study? Under there you have study, learn, revision. I have study again, but that, anyway, cramming and reading. Now, if you took those words, you cross, put a line to different words, you say orderly cramming. You can do that? Efficient revision. Regular study. Methodical learning. Oh, these all go together. These are different ways in which you can study and allow the word to come in. But now, let's look at the principles. Point number one. Are you ready? The point, first point, not necessarily the most important, but the first point I want to emphasize is appreciate the teachings of God's word. That's the first point. And let's go to the book of Job 23 and verse 12. Job 23 and verse 12. I'll take a volunteer to read that verse for us. We're talking about the approach to the study of God's word. Go ahead and read for me, brother. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. All right. I want you to read it one more time. And this is a technique that I'm going to share with you. It's called mastication. You guys know what mastication is? Chew your food. Are you supposed to chew your food fast or slow? Slow. All right. So in real life, in, in physical world, you chew your word slowly. So when you read the word, you want to read the word slowly. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. All right. More than my necessary what? Hmm. I wonder. Do you, how many times a day you eat? I eat twice a day. Well, in California, I don't even know how many times I eat right now because I'm all mixed up. <laughs> I didn't even eat breakfast. I didn't even feel hungry. But you, I eat twice a day. You might eat three times a day. But when you, you make sure you eat. If you don't eat, you make sure that you get double the next meal. I know some of you do that. It doesn't work that way. Right? But, you know, you make sure that if you miss a meal that you compensate yourself for that meal that you miss. If you eat twice a day, why wouldn't you eat the word as often or even more? Does that make sense? If I sit down and eat a meal for 45 minutes, 30 minutes, if I esteem the words of his mouth more than my necessary food, that means I should be taking more time in the word than I do with my own physical food. Is that right? All right, let's look look at another example. This is going to be the antithesis of appreciation. Jeremiah chapter 36, verses 1 through 5. You have it? All right. Let me stand by you so the microphone picks you up. Jeremiah 36, verses 1 through 5. Go ahead and read it for us. A message came to me from the Lord. It came in the fourth year that Jehoiakim was king of Judea. He was the son of Josiah. The message said, get a scroll. Write on it all the words I have spoken to you. All right. Real quickly. Who is speaking to Jeremiah? Who's, who's speaking to Jeremiah? All right, the Lord is speaking to Jeremiah. And what is Jeremiah instructed to do? To get a scroll and write down what the Lord says. All right, keep going. Write down what I have said about Israel, Judah, and all of the other nations. 
write what I have said to you from the time of King Josiah until now. The people of Ju uh, Judah will hear about all the troubles I plan to bring on them. Maybe then all of them will turn from their evil ways. If they do, I will forgive their sins and the evil things they have done. So I sent for Baruch, the son of Neriah. I told him to write down all of the words from the Lord, from the, uh, the words the Lord has spoken to me. And Baruch wrote them on the scroll. All right, so let's pause for a moment. Who, whose words are being written on the scroll? The Lord's. All right. The Lord's words are being written on the scroll. So could we say then that the, it's the word of the Lord on the scroll? Could we say that? Yes. All right. We can say that the word of the Lord is on the scroll. Now, I want to jump down in that same chapter, chapter 36. We want to jump down to verse number. I'm going to read verse six. I want us to see what happens with this word of the Lord, how it is appreciated. Verse 6 says, Therefore go thou and read in the roll which thou hast written from my mouth the words of the Lord in the ears of the people in the Lord's house upon the fasting day. And also thou shalt read them in the ears of all Judah that come out of the cities. What is the instruction that is given to Jeremiah here in this verse? To read before who? Read the word to the people. All right. Jump down to verse number 16. Now, Jeremiah goes to read before the people and notice the response. Notice the response of the people when they begin to get this. Go ahead and read this for me, brother. Verse 16 and on. Now it happened when they had heard all the words that they looked in fear for one to another and said to Baruch, we will surely tell the king of all these words. All right, so they're going to tell the king of all the words. Whose words are these again? The Lord's. All right, keep going. And they asked Baruch, saying, tell us now, how did you write all these words at his instructions? So Baruch answered them, he proclaimed with his mouth all these words to me, and I wrote them with ink in the book. Mm-hmm. Then the princess said to Baruch, go and hide, you and Jeremiah, and let no one know where you are. Isn't that interesting? So, so far we have Jeremiah. He's instructing Baruch to write the words that he hears on the scroll. Baruch goes and reads them before the leadership. The leadership says, hey, we're going to tell the king, but you better go hide. Now, these words are not necessarily good, kind words. Is that right? So he says, go hide. You need to hide out because we're going to go tell the king. We're going to see what he has to say. All right. Now keep reading for me, my brother. And they went to the king and to the courts. But they stored the scrolls in the chambers of Elishama. The scroll of the scribe. Mm -hmm. And told all the words in the hearing of the king. All right. So what did they do with the, with the scroll? What did they do with the scroll? All right, they put it in the chamber, they hid it, and they left the scroll there, and then he went to talk to the king. All right, now watch what happens after this. Elder, why don't you read the next one for us, 721. So the king sent uh, Jehudi to fetch the robe, and he took it out of Elishama, the scribe's chamber. And Jehudi, or Judai, read it in the ears of the king. Uh -huh. 
and in the ears of all the princes which stood beside the king. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. And it came to pass that when Jehudai had read three or four leaves, he cut it with a pink knife and cast it into the fire that was on the, on the hearth until all the wool was consumed in the fire that was on the earth. <coughs> Yet they were not afraid nor rent their garments, neither the king nor any of his servants that heard all these words. Nevertheless, El Nathan and Eliah and Jeremiah had made intercession to the king that he would not burn the roll Alright, question. Very simple. Again, most of the most simple idea here. Does the king appreciate the word? No. What, what showed you he did not appreciate the word? He cut it with a penknife and he threw it in the fire. Well, why? Why didn't the king appreciate the word? What was it about the word? He didn't appreciate it because it was calling him a sinner. It was calling Israel apostate. And he said, I don't like words like this. Cut this in a penknife, throw it in the fire. If we don't appreciate the word of God, we cannot benefit from the word of God. Do you understand? This is the key point. If you can't appreciate the word, you can't benefit from the word. Notice the quotation we put underneath. Now, we prove that principle from the Bible. Now, let's read the quotation on our paper that you've received there. Point number one. I'll take a volunteer to read that for us. The Bible contains all the principles that men need to understand in order to be fitted either for this life or for the life to come. What does the Bible contain? All the principles. principles. Not just a few principles. It contains all the principles. How many principles is all? That's everything. All is all. Is that right? I like that simple definition. Go ahead. And these principles may be understood by all. Oh, what's, what's all? Wait a second. Does that mean you can understand the principles? Yeah, that means you. What about you, little sis? Do you think you can understand the principles? Absolutely. If this says all, that means all. That means my little brother on that side can understand the principles. Is that right? That's right. Everybody, all, can understand the principles in God's word. If you don't appreciate it, there's a consequence. Go ahead and read it. No one with a spirit to appreciate its teaching can read a single passage from the Bible without gaining from it some helpful thoughts. Oh, wait a second. Did you hear that? No one. What does no one mean? I like how you guys define things by the same word. <laughs> All right? No one, none. If you have a spirit to appreciate the teachings of God's word, you can read the word no matter how. You know, I used to, look, I'll read this. Let me show you what I'm talking about. I used to read this book, and I'll give you an example. And Adam lived 930 years, and he died. And Seth lived 105 years and begat Enos. And Seth lived after Enos 807 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were 900. And Enos lived. And I'm like, man, what in the world? Why are they giving me a list of all these names and all these numbers? Well, I didn't understand that in that passage of names is a prophecy. I didn't know that. In that passage, you go look up, look up all those names, line them up in a row. 
And you'll see in those names, there's a prophecy about the plan of salvation. You go back and you look at Genesis chapter 4. And look at those names under verse 19 when it talks about Lamech. And, well, actually it starts in Cain, verse 16. Cain and Enoch and Arad and Mahujel and Methusael and Lamech and Zalah and Ada and Jabal. You know, that's a prophecy in regards to what's going to happen to the false system of religion. No one with the spirit to appreciate the teachings of God's word can read a single passage without gaining something from it. The question now would be, am I going to read quick? And let me we got two eyes. And then, okay, you read like that, you can't appreciate it. But if you masticate, you chew. And then the other principles we're going to give you, you can gain from the scriptures what you never could get before. Let's go a little further. Research diligently. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15 and 16. 2 Timothy 2, verses 15 and 16. Research diligently. You guys know this verse very, very, very well. I'll take a volunteer reader. 2 Timothy 2, 15 and 16. All right. Go ahead, my brother. 2 Timothy 2, 15 and 16. Study to show, show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. All right, very good. That word study is spaduza, spaduzu. It means to dig deep. What is a workman? A man that works. I like roof, people that do roofing and gardening. You, those people work. You ever seen those people? Didn't they? Everybody, anybody plant a garden before? I mean, my first time planting a garden was this year. This, this year. I mean, it was one of the most arduous tasks I've ever done in my life. And I appreciated every muscle that was hurting at the end of the day. If it takes that type of work to put in the garden, why wouldn't it take that type of work to get in the Word? Study. Get deep into that thing. Research diligently. Don't be a surface studier. Don't just, oh, Brother Andre said that this was such and such. Well, that's stupid if you just believe what I said. In In fact, look at Acts 17, verse 11. Look at Acts 17, verse 11. Even Paul was questioned. And Paul said, good job, brethren. Acts 17 and verse 11. All right. Are you ready to read for me, brother? Go ahead and read that for me. Okay. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether the things were so. All right. So Paul says... Hey, you guys were more noble than the Thessalonians. You know why? Because the Bereans said, Paul, we like you and everything, but we're going to check it out. And it says they checked it out how often? Daily. 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 So what I preached to you this weekend, you shouldn't believe anything I said. Not a single solitary thing. You should go back and research and see and diligently say, Father, is what he said true? And as you're studying daily, Not skipping days, 
You don't skip, you don't skip day, unless you're fasting. Now, some of you skip meals if you're fasting or maybe you're working hard. But most of us don't like skipping meals. We don't like that pain. <laughs> Search the scriptures daily. You know, it's a, it's a sad thought when you start to feel that you know everything. Um, you've been in the church for a long time. I heard that sermon before. You know, stuff like that, it disqualifies you from being able to be taught of God. Read the quotation. Who's, who's going to read the quotation underneath both point one and two? Point one and two. Read, but the most valuable. Who will read that for us? Okay, go ahead and read it. I'll... But the most valuable teaching of the Bible is not to be gained by occasional or disconnected study. Did you hear that? <coughs> what is occasional? Once in a while. Once in a while. Spread it out. You know, every Sunday I'll get into the Word, but, it, you know, the rest of the week I won't sit study. The most valuable teaching of the Bible is not to be gained by occasional or disconnected study. All right, keep reading, sister. Its great system of truth is not so presented as to be discerned by the hasty or careless reader. Did you hear that? And I like the word she puts there, its great system. What is a system? It's an order. What did you say? A procedure. It's a way that things go about. It's a it's a what? All right, so there's an order. So there's a order of system in scripture. I tell you, I tell you what, if you can figure out the system, it will lead you on a journey that you will never exhaust. Once you find it, the the, the issue is to find it. All right, read the next paragraph. Many of its treasures lie far beneath the surface and can be obtained only by diligent research and continuous effort. What is the difference between continual and continuous? Anybody know? Say it again. Okay, the persistency. See, continual is like this. I'll do it and I'll stop and then I'll take a break and I'll come back and I'll do it and I'll stop. That's continual. Continuous is nonstop. And I'll tell you how, Bible study is nonstop. It's 24-7. Ooh, y'all, this guy look at me, so weird. (laughs) Bible study is 24-7. Now, I'll tell you how to do it in a few moments, but there is never a time when you're not studying the Bible. Okay. Uh, I, I, I want you to get this. You research diligently and you exert continuous effort. Your mind is to be taxed and pushed and prodded because, hey, this is divinity we're dealing with. Uh, All right? Let's go a little further. Isaiah 28. Compare Scripture with Scripture. Isaiah 28 and verse 10. Isaiah 28 and verse 10. And my sister, will you read that for us? Mm-hmm. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, and there a little. All right, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. You are comparing scripture with scripture. 
Now, in our next session, not this present session, but in our next session, we're going to do a study together. I began to talk about it a little bit last night when I was with my friends. We're going to do a study together, and you're going to learn something new, I promise you. Even if you knew it already, you're still going to learn something new. There's a way to study that the Bible unlocks itself. I want to read this to you. I have uh, the book Education. Where did it go? It's on this side. I'm going to read this to you. 190, Education 190. And I didn't put this in, in the paper, but you, you want to make sure you look up this quotation. I usually use this quotation when I, I do this study on the glorious holy mountain. And, uh, but let's use it right now. Education 190. It's going to be some additional thoughts that you want to write down. And I'm going to read it as slowly as I can. It's dealing with comparing scripture with scripture. The Bible is its own expositor. Wasn't it, what is an expositor? Yeah, it's self-explanatory. It explains itself. The Bible is its own expositor. Scripture is to be compared with scripture. The student should learn to view the word as a whole. As a what? Okay, let's think about this for a moment. The story of Samson is not disconnected from the story of Revelation chapter 13. Okay, give you another example. The story of Jonah is not separate from the story of Calvary. Give you another example. Uh, creation is not separate from Revelation chapter 1 or 2. Everything is connected. Everything is interdependent upon each other. I watch it. The student should learn to view the word as a whole and see the relation of its parts. He should gain a knowledge of its grand central theme. That's number one. Of God's original purpose for the world. That's number two. Of the rise of the great controversy. That's number three. And of the work of redemption. That's four topics. She says that we should be studying. I challenge you. Go get this book, uh, Education 190. It says, going further, he should understand the nature of the two principles that are contending for supremacy and should learn to trace their working through the records of history and prophecy to the great consummation. He should see how his how this controversy enters into every phase of human experience. How in every act of life, how many acts of life? How in every act of life, he himself reveals the one or the other of the two antagonistic motives. And how whether he will or not, he is even now deciding upon which side of the controversy he will be found. That's a de- I mean, you really need to memorize that one. I, I would challenge you to memorize that because it gives such a complete package to how to study the Bible, what to look for in Scripture, and understanding. Yes? You know, it's just, it's really funny because we have no problem with this in anything else in the world. That's right. It's Satan has twisted this so much. If you want to play the piano, you got to be continuous. That's right. You got to know your notes. You got to practice. You got to take time. We have no problem. That's right. That's right. If you if you are in A, 
Come on, man. That's right. We don't get it. And this is just, it's like, do you like computers? Garbage in, garbage out. We think we can put whatever we want in our mind and we can get something That's out right. live from Satan. That's right. You put the mess in the computer, you get mess out of it. That's right. You put garbage in your mind, That's right. you get garbage out of your mind. And you cannot That's right. think about Jesus Christ when you are paying attention to something else. I've been there, done it. Amen. Amen. Now, I used to play basketball. I mean, a lot. I could dribble with my left hand, my right hand. I could go behind my back, spin that ball on my finger. You know, I could shoot with my eyes closed. It, it, I spent hours, hours in the gym. I played the saxophone. Hours practicing the saxophone. Hours on the guitar. I, I just started learning to play the guitar. It's starting to hurt my fingers. But I spent hours playing and playing. And as my brother said, we leave the job to the pastor to study for us. We can't do that. Can't leave the job to the elder. Can't leave it to anyone else. Can't leave it to your mom and dad. You yourself, young and old, must spend time in the word of God. Does that make sense, everybody? All right, let's go to our next point. Someone read that quotation underneath. It says the same idea. Go ahead, my sister, read that for us. The Bible is its own expositor, right here. The Bible is its only expositor. One passage will prove to be a key that will unlock other passages. And in this way, light will be shed upon the hidden meaning of the word. By comparing different texts, treating Treating on the same subject, viewing their bearing on every side, the true meaning of Scripture will be made evident. All right. So by comparing texts, dealing with the same subject matter, then the more crystal idea in regards to the teaching of Scripture will be made evident. But that's tedious work. If you ever took the word glory and you go through that word and you look up all the words for glory, then you look up all the words for law. Then you look up all the words for family or whatever. That takes time. That takes time. And if you know, if you have the appreciation for the word, you'll take that time. But if you're taking this as if, okay, this is just a mental exercise. I'm doing this to prove a point. Everything that is of selfishness will not benefit you, even in Bible study. I want to prove my position as a seven-day Adventist. And that's how you approach the Bible. That's a selfish motive in and of itself to study the word of God. You want the Bible because you want Jesus. And as you find Jesus, you'll find these other wonderful teachings because these teachings reflect him. It changes the whole modus operandi of how you approach scripture. All right. Let's go a little further. Next next one there. You have the quotation now. Go ahead and read that for us. In daily study. Um, What kind of study? And we prove that from the Bible, right? Yes. All right, go ahead. The verse-by-verse method is often most helpful. Let the student take one verse and concentrate the mind on uncertain things, the thought that God has put in that verse for him, and then dwell upon the thought until it becomes his own. One passage thus studied in its significance is clear is, clear is most of more value 
than the perusal of many chapters with no definite purpose in view and no positive instruction gained. Did you hear that? To me, this is mind-blowing. It says one passage thus studied. How many passages? And then it goes back, go up a little further. It says, let the student take how many verses? One verse. It didn't say, okay, I want to read the Bible through in a year. On your mark, it said, go. That's not what it said to do. That's not what we're doing here. I'm taking one verse, and I'm saying, for God so loved the world. And I'm holding on to that verse until that verse becomes a part of me. Do you understand that thought? I'm taking hold of that verse until that verse is a part of me. It's not an intellectual argument. It's not anything to do with to, confute, to, to try to teach somebody something. I want that verse to be a part of me. Remember now, we read already Education 126. The creative energy that called the worlds into existence is in the word of God. Is in the word of God. Every command is a promise accepted by the will received into the soul. It brings with it the life of the infinite one. So when I take that one verse and I'm thinking, I'm meditating, I'm receiving life. I'm receiving power. I'm being changed from a wicked man to a man after God's own heart. And that's what God wants to create in us in the study of scripture, in the study of his word. Let's go a little further. Uh, pray, all right? Let's go pray for understanding and the gift of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. And this is a, a very, very pertinent point. In essence, everything that I'm giving you, you cannot dispose of. If you don't know Greek and Hebrew, that's fine. But you can't dispose of what I'm giving you right here. Okay? Someone read that passage for us. First Corinthians chapter, you have it, my sister? All right. Hold on. Let me stand by you. Or you have to use your preacher voice if I'm not nearby. Go ahead. 10 through 16. Who understands the deep things of God? The Spirit. Go ahead. Who can know the thoughts of another person? Only a person's own spirit can know them. In the same way, only the Spirit of God knows God's thoughts. We have not received the Spirit of the world. We have received the Spirit who is from God. The Spirit helps us understand what God has freely given to us. That is what we speak about. We don't use words taught to us by people. We use words taught to us by the Holy Spirit. We use the words of the Spirit to teach the truths of the Spirit. Some people don't have this Holy Spirit. They don't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. Things like that are foolish to them. They can't understand them. In fact, such things can't be understood without the Spirit's help. Everyone who has the Spirit can judge all things, but no one can judge those who have the Spirit. It is written, Who can ever know what is in the Lord's mind? Can anyone ever teach him? All right. You see that? Isn't that clear? Spiritual things are spiritually discerned, and the Spirit is the one that teaches us what's in the thoughts of God. This is the thought of God. This is the mind of God. 
Does that make sense, everybody? All right, let's go to our next verse. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel 9 in verse 3. Daniel 9, in verse 3. Now, understanding a little bit of context in Daniel 9, Daniel is confused. Prophecy has been presented to him. He does not understand prophecy. It's confusing, right? So watch what Daniel does here in Daniel 9, in verse 3. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Verse 4. And I prayed unto the Lord my God, and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. All right, we'll pause there for now. So now we see a man who we're going to see in a few moments is actually an awesome, awesome, is a man that I wouldn't mind being like. And this man doesn't understand what God has given to him. So God, he, he sets his face to seek the Lord. Now, why is it important that it says he sets his face? Why does it say that? I'm just asking the question right now. Why, what does it mean he set his face to seek the Lord? Yeah, uh, all right. Well, if I say I set my back to seek the Lord, does that make sense? I set my face. Where, where am I focused? I'm focused on God. I'm connecting with the divine one. I'm focused. My face is this. I set my face. I've determined to seek God. And then when you open the word of God, before you open the word of God, we're going to read. I, I don't know if I put it in here, but we're going to read some passages. But if you open the word of God without prayer, that's problems. There's issues there. I don't care if, if you're just sharing a thought. You better pray. Before you open your mouth, before you speak God's word, before you open the word of God. Let's read the quotation right underneath that. Which says, the Bible should never be studied without prayer. My brother, will you read that for us, please? The Bible should never be studied without prayer. Okay, quick question. What does never mean? <laughs> See, I love these simple words. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes simple things are forgotten. Is that right? You know, like the, the fourth commandment, remember. What does remember mean? Remember, don't forget, right? Simple words, simple instruction. So never, all right? Read, this, read the sentence again. The Bible should never be studied without prayer. The Holy Spirit alone can cause us to feel the importance of those things easy to be understood. Wait a second. The Holy Spirit alone can cause us to understand things that are easy to understand. The Holy Spirit alone can do this. There are some things that you read simple and you run right by them because you're like, oh, that's. The Holy Spirit would then impress you. This is important. I give you an example. Can I give you an example? I'm going to give you an example of this thought. I want you to go to the book of uh, Matthew 24. I want to give you an example of this, this idea. In Matthew 24, and I remember this happened to me the other day. I was, I was not the other day, this is a couple years now. Uh, Matthew 24 and uh, verse 1. Now watch Matthew 24 and verse 1. And I read it. I didn't understand until it, the Holy Spirit impressed my mind. In fact, before we get to verse 1, go to Matthew 23, verse 37. Give a little context before we get to verse 1. All right? This is verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. 
Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would, ye would what? You would not. Behold, your house is left unto you what? Okay. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of what? All right. So now this is Jesus in the temple speaking to the people. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, I would have loved to gather you, but you would not. Your house is left desolate. I read that. I said, okay. Verse one, chapter four, 24. Look at this. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. The Holy Spirit said, stop. I stopped. Read it again. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. You got it? Did you get it, brother? The house is left. Well, what made the house Jesus left it. Now, we apply it to A.D. 70 and the destruction of the temple. But A.D. 70 was just an outward manifestation of something spiritually that already transpired. Jesus went out and departed from the temple. Then the Lord reminded me of a previous study I had done. Go to Ezekiel. Watch now Ezekiel. You know Ezekiel chapter 8 and 9 with the destroying angels and so forth and so on. And, but let's go to chapter 8 for a moment. Ezekiel chapter 8. And we're going to start at verse 2. And I'm just giving you an example. The Holy Spirit alone can impress you upon the things easy to be understood. Ezekiel 8, verse, start at verse 2. It says, Then I beheld and lo. A likeness as the appearance of fire, from the appearance of his loins even downward fire, and from his loins even upward, as the appearance of brightness, as the color of amber. And he put forth the form of a hand. Now this is another one. Watch this. And he put forth the form of a hand, and took me by the lock of mine head, and the spirit, and the what? The spirit. And the spirit lifted me up between what? Earth, Earth and what? Wait a second. What does the Bible call Ezekiel in Ezekiel? Look at, call him the son of man. So Ezekiel is the son of man. The son of man is lifted up between earth and, well, who else has been lifted up between earth and heaven? Jesus. Talking about Jesus. And I saw another angel flying the midst of, we're talking about the gospel. That symbol, that little simple idea right there in that verse we would bypass it. We'd say, oh, between earth and heaven. As if God just put insignificant words in the Bible. But he's lifted up between earth and heaven. Notice what else it says. Because that's not my main point at this point. In verse 4 it says, I and behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there. Actually, back up. Verse 3. And he put forth his form of a hand and took me by the lock of mine head. And the spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which is a whole nother study, which provoketh to jealousy. Verse four. And behold, 
the glory of the God of Israel was there according to the vision that I saw in the plain. So the glory of the God of Israel is there. Now, I want you to notice here in Ezekiel 11. Ezekiel 11, verse 21, 22. Verse 22. I'm giving you an example now. Verse 22 says, Ezekiel eleven twenty-two. Then did the cherubim lift up their wings, and the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was over them above. Now watch. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. Where did the glory of the Lord go to? On a mountain on the east side of the city. Back to Matthew 24. Look at verse 1 again. Matthew 24, looking at verse 1 again. Now watch. The glory of the Lord leaves the city, goes and sits on the east side. Now watch verse 1. And Jesus went out. Jesus is the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the mount of what? Now let me ask you a question. Where is the Mount of Olives situated in regards to the temple? It's on the east side. Do you see that? Ezekiel 11, Matthew 24, God will impress your mind upon things that are easy to understand. I read that verse, and Jesus went out in the park, and it just clicked. It said, bing. And the Holy Spirit will do that as you're studying. It will just go, bing. It may not make that noise, but you understand. <laughs> you understand. All right, let's finish the quotation. Now that you were reading. Or prevent us from wrestling truths difficult of comprehension. It is the office of heavenly angels to prepare the heart so to comprehend God's word that we shall be charmed with its beauty, admonished by its warning, and aminated and strengthened by its promises. We should make the psalmist's petition our own. Open thy my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Do you guys see that? We should make the psalmist's petition our own. Whenever the prophet gives me a suggestion, I make it my own. <laughs> I'm not going to be like, oh, that's a good idea. I think, no. I'm making that my own prayer. Father, open thou my eyes, that I may behold the wondrous things out of thy law. Now, there's one other thing that I found very interesting, uh, and maybe in another time in the future... Prophecy is based on the law of God. I didn't know that before. Prophecy is based on God's law. How? Well, no, I'm not going to go there. It's time to keep going. Keep press forward. Amen. Let's go to the next. But prophecy is based on the law of God. Let's look at the next point. Point number six. Avoid large. Okay, I, I was going to. Uh, forgive me for that typo there. 
I was going to put avoid large amounts of reading, but I put avoid false teachers. You have to avoid those two. But what I want to just cross out that word large, please. Amen. And avoid false teachers, theories, and bitterness. All right. And you're going to see why in a moment there are there are supposed reform movements based on bitterness. And you can hear it in the tenor of how they speak and how they teach. They're angry about something. All right. They're not angry at sin. They're angry at people. And that's a problem. And it distorts. And we're going to read about it here in a few moments. But let's open our Bibles. First Timothy six and verse 20. Avoid false teachers and theories. First Timothy six and verse twenty. Yes. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. All right. So turn away from false ideas. Turn away from, my Bible says, avoid profane and vain babblings. Dumb thoughts. Okay? Dumb ideas. You know, it's a dumb idea to think that the world was created in millions of years. It is absolutely unbiblical. I base truth not on science, so-called. I base truth based on what this scripture says. Is that right? You can't base truth on what you see with your eyes. Because if science is only what you can see with your eyes and hear with your ears and taste with your tongue, then science is false. Because what happened to Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? The physical person of him? No. Well, science then disqualifies you from the ability to know that. What about the planets far, far out there? You, you, know, you don't trust it until you see it. Well, how about those big stars, those quasar stars? You ever seen those stars in real life before? No, you ain't never really seen them. You've seen them like the animation. You ain't really seen it. Scientists seen it, maybe. But you can't trust what you see with your eyes. What happens if a dead person walks into a room right now? Right? They walk in. I am Paul from, you see with your eyes. Does that make it true? Avoid false, vain teachers, profane babblings. Next verse. What's the next verse there? Second Timothy 2, verse 16. We read it already, but Second Timothy 2 and verse 16. Same thing. It says the same thing. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Read it for us, sister. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. So there's a danger there. The vain babblings will increase unto more ungodliness, more wickedness. Next verse, 2 Peter 2, verse 1. 2 Peter 2, verse 1. My long lost friend, you read that for us. But there were false prophets also among the even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, that bought them, and bring unto themselves swift destruction. Okay, there's going to be false teachers, even among you. I've gone to churches 
And I've told the cheap people, I said, anytime you see true revival begin to take place, no, Satan is not far behind to cause false revival. Beware. Avoid false teachers. But how can you know a teacher is false? To the law and to the what? If they speak not according to this word, there is no light in them. Isaiah 8.20. To the law and to the testimony. Next verse. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 3. Read that for us, Elder. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 3. We're going to take a break here in a moment. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 3. What does it say? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Now watch this now. Of their own lust, they're going to say, bring in a teacher that won't preach against sin. Bring in a teacher that has the same bitterness that I have. You know, birds of a feather flock together. Is that right? I mean, it's not a biblical saying. I don't know if that's a biblical <laughs> saying. All right. But people like to hang out with people that are like them or subject themselves under them. Let's go to Ephesians 4 and verse 31 and watch the instruction here. Ephesians 4 and verse 31. Watch the instruction here. Ephesians 4 and verse 31. I have a, yes. All right. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. All right. Put bitterness what? Put it away. Put it away. There's a reason for that. What's our next verse? Now, Hebrews 12, 15. Watch this. Hebrews 12 and verse 15. Put bitterness away. All wrath, all clamor. Put that away. Why? It's going to affect how you understand scripture. Who has that verse for us? Ready to roll? All right, sister. Looking diligently, lest any man fall by the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness bringing up trouble you, and thereby many may be defiled. How is a person defiled? By bitterness springing up among them. Is that right? You defile yourself, your mind, your intellect, by allowing bitterness to be there. It affects Bible study. And in fact, watch, watch this statement. Fundamentals of education. I'm going to read this one, all right? It says, let no man's assertions be considered as truth when they are contrary to the word of God. The Lord God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the source of all wisdom, is second to none. But those supposed great authors who give to our schools their textbooks for study are received and glorified even though they have no vital connection with God. By such study, man has been led away from God into forbidden paths. Minds have been wearied to death through unnecessary work in trying to obtain that which is to them as the knowledge which Adam and Eve disobeyed God in obtaining. Y'all hear that? Let's keep reading. If Adam and Eve had never touched the tree of knowledge, they would have been where the Lord could impart to them knowledge from his word. Knowledge which would not have had to be left behind with the things of this world, but which they could carry with them to the paradise of God. But today, young and old 
Young men and women spend years and years in acquiring an education which is but wood and stubble to be consumed in the last great configuration. Many spend years of their life in the study of books, obtaining an education that will die with them. Upon such an education, God places no value. This supposed wisdom gained from the study of different authors has excluded and lessened the brightness and value of the word of God. Many students have left school unable to receive the word of God with the reverence and respect that they gave it before they entered. Their faith eclipsed in the effort to excel in various studies. The Bible has not been made a standard matter in their education, but books mixed with fidelity and propagating unsound theories have been placed before them. You tell me something. Our education... The way we go about our education, I, I say it plainly. I've, man, can I just talk? I mean, I've been to school. I've sat under professors who in my classroom taught me that there's no sanctuary in heaven. To my face. I've been in schools and they gave me a textbook. And the textbook was clearly from an infidel. And I'm supposed to read this for my education. Do you understand you benefit from what you feed upon? There's a lot of stuff we got in our head we got to get out. There's a lot of stuff we have in our head that has corrupted how we see God. And I'm begging you, I'm saying to you, look, examine your life. Examine where you've been, what you've put into your mind. There's so much more about God that we don't know and understand. A couple more quotations. I'm almost done, Elvin. There is nothing so ennobling and invigorating as a study of the great things which concern our eternal life. Let students seek to grasp these God-given truths. Let them seek to measure these precious things, and their minds will expand and grow Strong in the effort, but a mind, listen, but a mind crowded with a mass of matter it will never be able to use is a mind dwarfed and enfeebled because only put to the task of dealing with commonplace material. It has not been put to the task of considering the high elevated discourses coming from God. Somebody who we were talking the other day, it was a Bible contact. And I, and I told him I was going to California. And he said, oh, so you're going to go to California. You're going to come back via Texas. And you're gonna come. I said, how do you know what route I'm taking? He was like, well, I just have a bunch of useless information in my head. <laughs> That's what he said to me, just random, just random information. I just have a bunch of useless information. A bunch of stuff that has nothing to do with anything. But have no knowledge of God. One last quotation, and we're going to take a break. God's spirit has illuminated every page. How many pages? Every page of Holy Writ. But there are those upon whom it makes little impression because it is what? Imperfectly understood. When the shaking comes by the introduction of false theories, these surface readers anchored nowhere are like shifting sand. They slide into any position to suit the tenor of their feelings of what? 
That's happening now. That's happening amongst the people now. We are bitter and we're angry. It's like we're angry at the organization. We're, we're angry at people in church. We don't like each other. And then we want to open the Bible and then take it and say, Phew. We're not opening the Bible to be changed. When I open the Bible to commune with the God of heaven, because that's when I open the Bible, that's what I want. I want communion with heaven. I want to be changed from the inside out, not outward conformity in. I want inside out conformity. I want to be conformed with the law of God written in my own heart. That's what we want. We're going to take a break, and then we're, I'll, raise, I'll deal with the question. Let's write your question. All right? We're going to take a break. All right, it's a five-minute break. Go get some fresh air. Breathe deeply. All right, get some inspiration and come back and we'll bring you our second session. Thank you. 